a dear pastor friend, uh, not in this area, who pastors a very large church, and he's an outstanding preacher, really good at moving the room, and it's the darndest thing, whenever he goes away, uh, thank you guys for doing that, thank you, Vanna, appreciate you uh, setting that up for me, yeah, good job, all right. Whenever uh, he, he goes away, my pastor friend, he, he brings in guest speakers that uh, I, 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 didn't, I don't know how to be kind about it. They just, well, they just can't move the room like him at all. And, and it's obvious that, uh, that they're not nearly uh, the kind of speaker he is. And I've never asked him because I think it might be rude and I think he'd deny it, but I think he does it on purpose. I really do. <laughs> I, I think he just brings in guys that he knows are not nearly of his caliber so that when he comes back, it just, everybody's goes, oh, we're so glad you're back. Uh, it's the opposite here at Scottsdale Bible Church. I, honestly, I, I, I watched Lucas online and somebody said to me uh, later, they said, you know, um, that was a good sermon. I said, no, that was a great sermon. And Scottsdale Bible, yeah, amen. Uh, I mean... He has grown so much as a teacher and a preacher and a man of God. And then obviously it goes without saying that Daryl, who uh, carried the water here for 25 years uh, and is also growing and growing and maturing in his own right, uh, is just an outstanding teacher of the word. And so you need to know that's our commitment to you. That's mine. I, uh, I, I've never seen myself as God's gift to ministry or anything like that. I know who I am. I know what I'm good at and what I'm not. And I'm okay with that. And uh, my commitment is when I go away that you guys are treated uh, to the best that we can find uh, to, to feed you the word of God. And I feel really good about that. And I think it was a great, um, a great time away for me and Kim. <laughs> it's funny. I, I love my wife so deeply. She's here in this service. And, you know, every Christmas I go, you know, hey, let's stay here in Scottsdale and enjoy the weather. And she goes, no, I want to go home, you know, to Michigan and Ohio. And I go, yeah, but it's going to be cold and it's going to snow. And she goes, yeah, I love it. And so, you know, I hate it. And so we, we go back <laughs> to Michigan. And it, I, as, as many of you men can relate, I, I just get joy seeing my wife smile. I really do. And so, you know, I'm out there shoveling eight inches of snow the second day we're there. She's standing in the window with a cup of coffee, you know, watching me. And <laughs> finally, I got testy and said, get out here. And, and so we shoveled together but it was it was good to get away for about eight days and and it's really good to be back and so about a year ago at this time I did a, a winter series here at our church in which some of you remember this we spent nine weeks in one verse in the Bible I mean, I've never seen that done before. Leave it to me to think of something like that. It was a very rich verse. It was this verse out of Philippians 4.8 that says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of, worthy of praise, think about these things. And so we spent nine weeks looking at eight different attitudes, and then we had a prequel message right before that to set it all up. And I got to tell you, it was a watershed time for myself to slow down and park in front of a verse like that and just see what God says to me over a two-month period of time. And I think it was watershed for our church. I, I, I think there's a lot of change. We call the series Attitude. There's a lot of change in our attitude that, quite frankly, got us through uh, our whole Compelled by Grace vision and some of the disruption there and what have you. And I, it was just a moment in time for me. And the reason I tell you that is that it was such a great experience for me, and I believe our church, that I feel led to do it again. Uh, not the same verse again, but this time 
a couple of other different verses. And so this winter, I've chosen to park us in front of two verses in the Bible. Uh, Again, just two verses that I think have a level of profundity and impact that you're going to find worthwhile here at Scottsdale Bible. And the two verses are found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. We're going to turn there in a few minutes. And they comprise what has been called the fruit of the Spirit. Many of you are familiar with that. Really, it's the results of what having God in your life look like. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That when you and I say we're followers of Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives in us, what does that look like? And this is what Paul the Apostle writing Galatians is getting at here, that when the Holy Spirit lives in you, this is what it looks like. If you and I claim to say God lives in us, this is what it looks like. And it's called the fruit of the Spirit. And I think it's going to be a great study for us here at Scottsdale Bible. So as uh, Cactus Campus, Mountain Valley, the chapel and the venue join us in our time in the Word right now, let's all bow and pray and dedicate this series to the Lord. God, I do thank you for uh, this church and for its faithfulness to you, devotion, uh, soberness when it comes to truth, joy when it comes to the gospel and relationality, and Lord, even their generosity as we saw this Christmas season. And Father, I thank you too that we have stayed for over 50 years very, very focused on your word as your truth and as the sole guide for our lives. And I pray, God, that as we park in front of a couple verses now over the next couple of months here at our church, that, God, you might speak to our hearts and our minds, slow us down, focus us with laser beam precision on who you are and what you want to do in our lives and what it looks like when we dare to say that you live in us. Do that in us, we pray in Christ's name. And we all say together, amen. Amen. Well, I got to tell you, I want to begin by just reading the two verses that we're going to be looking at for the next 10 weeks here at our church. So if you brought a Bible, open up to Galatians 5, beginning at verse 22. We're going to read all the way to verse 23. If you uh, don't have a Bible, you can look on your outline that's in your connection guide. And then also, as always, I'll put it up here on the monitor. So just follow along with me as I read. By the way, We're going to read this so often over the next 10 months, y'all are going to memorize this verse. Isn't that cool? 10 months, 10 weeks. That scared you. 10 weeks. You're going to memorize this verse. And it's a good thing that you memorize it, by the way, because our children, for crying out loud, have memorized this verse. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Here's what I want you to do for the rest of our time today. I want you to focus on just six words that you and I have to understand before we go into any intelligent discussion about this fruit. And those are the words, but the fruit of the Spirit. I guess that's one, two, three, four, okay, seven words. But the fruit of the Spirit. I need you to focus on that. And let's be real clear up front. Here's my point. It's God's fruit that this verse is talking about. I think that's a really important thing for you and I to understand. It's God's fruit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, fully and perfectly God. And it's this person of the triune God and his fruit in you and in me that's being talked about here. So it's God's fruit, whatever that means, God's fruit in the lives of his followers. 
And so it was a prequel to this entire series. What I want to do in our time remaining today before we go to the communion table is pause and reflect on what the implications are when Paul the Apostle begins this profound list here by saying that it's the fruit of the Spirit that it's God's fruit that we're talking about here. But what are the implications of that? Uh, three things I want to share with you that hopefully you will agree with me on that I think have some profundity in this idea of this being God's fruit. And the first thing is this. It's God's fruit, so naturally it comes from him. I think that's really important for us to recognize that if this is indeed the fruit of the Spirit of God, then obviously it originates and comes from Him. Folks, one of the greatest misconceptions about this list here in Galatians 5, and I've seen it played out way too often over the last 30 years of being a Christian, is that many Christians somehow see this list as things that we need to conjure up within ourselves we see this list as kind of a moral code that we need to live up to. And so this list has become a really kind of a Boy Scout law for many Christians today. I was a scout in my earlier days. I never became an Eagle Scout, but I was in the Boy Scouts for a few years. And I had to memorize the Boy Scout law. Some of you might remember it. The Boy Scout law goes like this. A scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. Some of you remember those days. And I had to memorize those moral traits because as a little guy, that's what they were asking me as a Boy Scout to live up to and to uh, play out in my daily life. Uh, honestly, a lot of people look at the fruits of the Spirit the same way. They read this list and they say, well, I guess a Christian should be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled, and I better get with the program. I better wake up tomorrow and do everything in my power in order to live up to this list that God has put in front of me. And I'm telling you guys, if you see this list that way, as many Christians do, this is what one author calls an adventure in missing the point. Because the whole point of this is that it's not your fruit this is God's fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit that he wants to do in you. And we're going to talk in a minute on how that works. But before we even get to that, you got to get it out of your mind that this is somehow some moral code that he's asking you to live up to. On the contrary, here's what God says. You can't consistently live this list. How does that grab you? You can't. Our world thinks they can. Our world looks at this list and says, oh, I can be loving and good and faithful and kind and patient. Problem is, they're wrong. They're wrong. They're deceived. They can do it for a while. They can do it in a hit and miss fashion. But the reality is, is that you and I both know in our more humble, sane moments, we don't live these things consistently. And we can't on our own. That's why it's the fruit of the Spirit. You know, it's fascinating. A few verses before this listing of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, God does list the things that you and I can do on our own. Isn't it fascinating? It's called the sins of the flesh or the deeds of the flesh. 
And Paul says it this way. He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And I think it's, it is almost comical because what Paul is saying is that these are the things that you do naturally. You don't need any help from God to do these things, right? Do you need help from God being angry in your life, yes or no? I don't think you do. Do you need help from God creating dissension in your marriage or in your relationships? No, you don't. Do you need help from God getting drunk? No, you are capable of doing all those things just by your lonesome. So God has given us a list of things that we're really good at on our own. And his whole point of calling the other list the fruits of the Spirit is that you can't do those things on your own. You need his help. This is why theologians for years have called this the battle between the flesh and the Spirit. Because in your own flesh, in your own bodily energy, which is what that word flesh means, you can do all sorts of sinful and crazy things. But to be godly... To have the kind of character that he is after, that's only going to come if God does something in you. It's his fruit, and it comes from him. Now, as you're chewing on that, I want you to notice with me a second key implication of this fruit being God's fruit. And this flows right from the first implication that it comes from him, and it's this, and that is that it's his fruit, it's God's fruit, so he chooses its nature and composition. Now, this is tricky, but very important. It's God's fruit, so he is the one that chooses, and here's what I'm saying, what kind of fruit this is going to be. In other words, put even more simply, he's already given us the list. That's what I need you to see. And it's his list, and he's already declared what he's after in you and in me. He knows beforehand what he wants your character to look like and be like, and he is more committed to these nine things as the composition of your sanctification, your holiness, than anything else. He chooses what the fruit is. And the reason that this is so important, gang, is that as I look at your life, and let's face it, mine too, I'll own this, we spend an inordinate amount of time and energy focusing on things that really don't matter and that, quite frankly, have nothing to do with the nine things that we're going to look at over the next two months. And I think it's a tragedy. And part of what you and I need to do before we even start this series is take our time and our energy back and say, man, I'm going to focus on the things that God says are the most important. I'm going to tell you a true story. It's kind of a funny story, but it's got a a, a profound point. Uh, Five days before Christmas, I was at the Mayo Clinic here at the Shea. And you don't need to worry. It was some rather routine stuff. I needed to get some tests done as I'm in my 50s now and, and have heart disease in my family and things like that. And so my doctor, who's really good, was just kind of, you know, uh, checking some things out. And after I got done with my appointment, I uh, went out to my car. And, and as I came in, and gosh, isn't this just happens to get older? I had my glasses case, my, my, my f- iPhone, and then I had a book, and, and then I had my keys. And so there's like four things I got to remember as I'm in, in Mayo there. And then they load me up with some paperwork. And then also I had a little device, a testing device for home. So I'm walking out with my arms full. And I get to my car and I put it all on top of my car. 
Yeah, you'll see where this is going in a minute. And I put it on top of my car, and I open the door, and I got a system down, so I'm putting some in the back seat, some in the seat next to me, some right in the console in the center, and then make sure I have my keys. And then I get in the car, and I'm driving away, and I turn right on Shea. You can picture this, those of you who are visual. And I, and I have to pick up Kim at the church. Paul's in town, my son. We only have two cars, uh, Kim's and mine. So he's got Kim's car. I got to pick up Kim at the church here. And, uh, and, and as I hit, I kid you not, 115th Street, I, I remember as long as I live, my car speaks to me because it has Bluetooth, and it says, your phone has been disconnected. <laughs> and I go, my phone's been disconnected, and I look down where it's supposed to be on the console, and it's not there. And I knew right away what I'd done. I had left my phone on the roof of my car. And the Bluetooth caught it when I started the car, but then as I was driving, eventually it flew off my car, the Bluetooth lost it, and about 115th Street, it said your phone has been disconnected. I knew right away what had happened. So even though I was late for picking up Kim, I said, oh my gosh, I gotta find that phone, it's an iPhone. So I, I do a U-turn, and, and again, four lanes on Shea, and I'm cutting back to Mayo, and I'm looking all over, and I pull into Mayo. I go exactly where I was. I can't find it. I pull back out. I'm driving slow now, west back toward the church. I can't find it. And this is hilarious. I hit 115th Street again, and it says, your phone has been disconnected. <laughs> Which, for those of you who don't understand technology, tells me that it picked up my phone when I drove past it, <laughs> attached it to the, to the Bluetooth, and then when I hit 115th Street, it lost it again. So it's somewhere out there, my phone is. By now, I'm super late picking up Kim, so I, I go to the church, and she's all worried. She's been calling me, she can't get a hold. I said, well, my phone's gone. That's why I can't. So she's brilliant. Kim goes, hey, you know what? You track me all the time with your phone on that little find my iPhone thing. And I said, yeah, I do. I just want to make sure my phone's okay. And so, you know, I... I I do. I, I track Kim's phone and Hannah's phone and Abby's phone. I can't track Paul's phone because he thinks it's creepy. So I, it doesn't allow me to do that. But I do track my girl's phones. And, and she goes, and your phone's on it too. So I said, give me your phone. So I, I, I grab her phone and I dial up this find my iPhone feature. And true story, my iPhone is halfway over the hill to Fountain Hills. Somebody had found my phone and they were going into Fountain Hills with it iPhone has a feature called uh, loss mode where you can put it in loss mode and then it starts actually a red line to find where your phone is lost. It can just track it. And so I put it in loss mode and sure enough, I see this red line moving into Fountain Hills and Kim goes, we got to go find it. <laughs> yeah. So we jump in my car, we're driving down Shea and it's moving, it's moving and I'm driving down Shea. This is a true story. And I get halfway over the hill into Fountain Hills, and this is where it gets rich. And Kim goes, where is it now? I said, you're not going to believe it. It's at the Fort McDowell Casino. That's where my phone is. Now, guys, I got to tell you, God's honest truth. I have never been in a casino in my life. I know it's for another sermon, but I'm not a fan of casinos. Biblically speaking, I don't think that they are uh, edifying and redemptive places to go to. So I don't go to casinos, but I go to the parking lot of this casino, and this is where the GPS is, is not an exact science. We, we see that it's in the parking lot, and, and yet every time I got on top of it, it would kind of move a little bit, because again, it's only within like a 50 to 100 foot radius. And so picture Kim and I in the casino parking lot, we're looking in every car we can find, because we know it's there somewhere. I'm trying to make it beep, because you can make your phone beep when it's lost. I can't hear a thing. 
So finally we decide to go in and let security know what we're doing because uh, you know we go kind of weird looking at every car in a casino parking lot. And so we go in, and the second I walk in, I realize there's a reason I don't go into casinos. I mean, the first thing is it smells like an ashtray. I mean, the thing is just, I mean, I just, I was, if you want to know where you can smoke indoors, go to a casino, because obviously they allow that. So we're walking in through the casino. And, and honestly, we need to start a ministry to these places, because I'm, I'm going by these people, these poor pathetic people pulling the, you know, what are the, the jackpot thing and the, the, you know, the playing the games. And I wanted to stop and say, you know, really get a life, an eternal one. Let me talk to you about that. I mean, it was just so, I, I don't know, it just, it's a bothersome place. And so we go to the security office and, and the head of security comes down and we tell him what's going on and who I am. And I like this guy. He immediately started calling me Padre, which means... <laughs> Which means he's Catholic, right? Because father, padre, Catholic. And so he goes, well, we can help you out, padre. And so he grabs another security guy. And for an hour, we go out to the parking lot and try to find my phone. Right, Kim? It was just about an hour. Me and this head of security and Kim and the other guy, and we're looking in every car. We're making it beep. And every time I'm thinking I'm on top of it, it, it kind of moves a little bit. And we can't find my phone. It's now about three hours into this, and the security guy, who's just been wonderful, said to me, he said, you know, I, I just can't spend any more time with you. You're on, you're on a, a Native American Indian land, and so if you want to, you know, go to the Indian Council and, and report a lost phone, you can, and then you can let Scottsdale know, but you're, you know, you're probably not going to get it back. This is true. He, he left, and Kim goes, we're going to stay here till it comes out. And I go, what are we going to do then? She goes, we're going to follow him to his house. And I go, Kim, we're going to get killed if we do that. I says. And, and then the thought hit me. And, and this thought hit some of you way earlier. I thought, I've spent way too much time on this stupid phone. Honestly, it hits me. I've been spending three hours, five days before Christmas, trying to find my stupid lost phone that the girl at the apple store when i went to finally replace it pointed out it probably was in pretty bad shape even if you found it you were going 45 down shea i said no 55 down shea <laughs> and and it flew off your car it, it's probably not in good shape three hours would be a third of a day of study of the Word of God for me. Three hours would be three individual counseling sessions with three of you. Three hours would be three entire worship services complete with a sermon. Three hours would be three meals in our cafe hearing somebody's story. Three hours would be three hours with my son who's home from college and, and any time I can grab with him, I will. Are you starting to get the point? I, I think you and I spend a lot of time, and I'm owning this with you, focusing on things that don't matter. Uh, forget for a second about iPhones and Indian reservations and things like that. Here's what God is saying to us in Galatians chapter 5. He's saying that I, meaning God, live within a good box when it comes to my will for your life. When it comes to what I want your sanctification to look like. And it includes things like love and joy and peace in your soul and goodness and faithfulness, things that all have to do with your character, even wonderful things like gentleness and patience, and eventually one that was really going to rock a lot of us because we don't have as much of this as we want, even self-control. Uh, God lists no less than nine things 
that he is extremely committed to in you and me. And part of the whole commitment you and I need to bring into this venture, now don't miss this, gang, is that we need to be equally committed to these things in our own lives. Amen? The only problem is, is that we spend a lot of our time out here in the outer markers focusing on iPhones and casinos and, and things like that. And before you know it, we have spent hours focusing on things that have nothing to do with the fruit of the Spirit. And again, I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I don't feel guilty about this. I feel motivated after doing something silly like I did that Monday before Christmas to want to start spending my time focusing on the things that God is most concerned about in my life, and that is the fruit of his Holy Spirit in my life. Those are the things that he is most committed to, and those are the things that you and I need to be most committed to. C.S. Lewis, I think, said it best years ago when he was alive, when he talked about the difference between first things and second things. I, I've shared this with you guys before. But, but Lewis said that life is made up of first place things and second place things. And here's where it becomes tricky. The second place things aren't bad. The second place things are things like your hobbies, your entertainment, your health, your wealth, things like that. All good place to good things, but they are good second place things. The only first place things are the direct things of God and what he wants to do in your life and character. And that's really the point of this message, is that you and I need to recognize it's God's fruit, so it comes from him. And it's God's fruit. He chooses the nature and composition of it, and he wants us to join him in his focus in our lives. And so the only question I want to then now address before we move on to the um, communion table is how do we see now and get this fruit in our lives? I mean, if it truly comes from God and not us, if he is the one to decide its nature and composition, then how in the world are we to see this kind of fruit grow in our character and in our souls? And this brings us to the third and final setup point for this series. And it's very important that we get this one from the start. And that is that it's God's fruit, but we must cooperate. We must cooperate. Now, now what do I mean by that? I, I want to share with you, I shared with you earlier the verse before these fruits of the spirits that are listed here, fruit of the spirit that's listed here. Uh, now I want to share with you the verse that comes after the fruit of the spirit. Because it's almost like Paul the Apostle has anticipated that we're going to ask the question, how? How, how? This is God's fruit. How do you and I incorporate it? Look at verse 25. It says, if we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So now follow the flow of this whole chapter. It lists the things that you and I can do all on our own, the deeds of the flesh. It lists the things that we need God's help on, the fruit of the Spirit. Then it closes this chapter by saying, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Now what does this mean? Again, it's more for a complete sermon, but just to give you the Cliff Notes version, what I believe this verse is saying here from my study is that when it says that if we live by the Spirit, it's an if that assumes that we do because we're Christians and that living by the Spirit means the indwelling of the Spirit from the time of conversion. In other words, it's saying if we live by the Holy Spirit and you do live by the Holy Spirit because he lives in you, 
It goes on to say, then walk in the Spirit. So when it says live in the Spirit, it means that you do live in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells you from the time of conversion. So then it says walk in the Spirit, which assumes that it's possible to live in the Spirit and not walk in the Spirit. So it's saying if we then live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And walking by the Spirit means your daily submission and trust in Him. And so I love this visual. It's basically saying the Holy Spirit lives in you and the Holy Spirit's on the move in your life wanting to do these nine things in your character. Now watch this. So Paul is saying, now keep in step, walk as the Spirit walks in your life. Walk in the power of the Spirit each moment of each day. I love how the New International Version translates this verse. I think it's spot on. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Doesn't that make sense? So since the Holy Spirit lives in you, keep in step with the Spirit each moment of each day. Now watch this. And these fruits will start to become more evident in your life. That as you keep in step with the Holy Spirit, God will start to do these things in your character. Simply put, as you walk with God, he's going to make you more loving. He's going to make you more faithful, good, gentle, self-controlled, patient, kind. He's going to do these things in you as you learn to walk with him, as you keep in step of the, in the Spirit. But then the question becomes, well, how do we do that? How do we keep in step with the Spirit? We're going to talk about this a lot in this series, but let me wet your whistle with this. Theologians for years have said that the way you and I keep in touch with God each moment of each day is through increasing in our knowledge of him and his will for us. That's why it's important that we understand these fruits of this, this, these fruit of the Spirit and the nine things listed here. We need to increase our knowledge base so that we know what we're after. And then based on that, and by the way, these are in order, we then trust him through faith to do these things in us so you know what God is after, you trust that he's going to do these things in you, and then, this is where we cooperate, you have to engage your will with God each moment of each day. In other words, it's going to be all three of those things, guys. For you and I to cooperate, we have to know what God is after. We have to be willing to trust him that he will and can do these things in us. And we have to engage our will each moment of each day to cooperate with what God is doing based upon our trust and faith in him. I'm going to share this as we go along in this series. But one of the reasons I'm so convinced that we can't do these things on our own is because when I do an audit of my own life, there's just too many fruit of the, fruits of the Holy Spirit here in this list that after 35 years of being a Christian, you would think I'd be better at. It's good that my wife is here in this service today because one of the things that I'm not very good at, and this will not surprise some of you who know me, is patience. Some of you men are going to resonate with this. I mean, I'm just not naturally a patient guy. I'm type A. I'm strong driving. I, I, I'm a fairly good leader. And by nature, we don't make the most patient people on God's green earth when it comes to, to that. And so I've known that for years. I've known that I'm not very patient. And yet you would think after 35 years of applying this and being a pastor and a, and a fairly strong Christian that I would be more patient, but I still wrestle with this every day. I wrestle with it driving down the 101. 
I wrestle with it when I'm dealing with ministries here in the church. I wrestle with it when I go home and, and, and deal with problems at home, not with Kim, but with the dogs and things like that. And so I, I, I wrestle with it. I, I, I wrestle with patience. But, but what do I do? Now watch this. Here's what I do. One, I, I, I make sure I continue to increase my knowledge. And we're going to do this in this series on what patience is, what it isn't, what God is after, why it's so important. I, I have to know a lot about patience before I'm going to get better at it. And we're going to do that with every one of these nine things in the fruit of the Spirit. But then the most important thing I need to do is have trust. Now watch this. That God wants me to be patient and that he is more than capable to make me patient. And see, here's where this gets hard, is that after 35 years of trying to do this, and tell me if you can't agree with this, there's times where you just go, I don't know if I'm ever going to change. I was watching a, a sitcom the other day, and you know they're having a discussion. This isn't a Christian conversation. They're having a discussion in the sitcom of do people really change. And the one guy in the sitcom said, well, I, I think people can change at most 15% in their lives. And that's how many of you think too. I mean, that's really honestly kind of our prevailing mood today. And, and here's the point is that there are some times where I tend to want to fall into that kind of thinking. I think, well, doggone it, Jamie, you haven't changed in certain areas and, and, and you're probably one of the most serious guys when it comes to your faith of the people that you know. And if you're not changing, then what's the hope for the rest of the people? See, as soon as you start thinking like that, what are you not doing? You're not trusting God who says with God all things are possible, who Jesus says that he is going to change us from the inside out. So no matter how many times I fail, no matter how hard it gets, I have to trust God. Again, that's why it's so important we spent time earlier on the fact that this is his fruit. It comes from him. It's his fruit. He determines the nature and composition of it. It's not about you. It's about him. And he wants to do this in us. And you and I need to maintain the faith. So we have knowledge and we have faith but then here's the critical one. We need to apply our will. I remember years ago when I was a, a new Christian, I, I always knew I'm not very patient. And I was in a Bible study once with my friend Bill. Bill's a tough guy and, uh, and, and never been easy on me. And at one point I, I said, you know, I'm just having trouble being patient with my parents. And I'm trying to set a good witness and all that. And so if you guys don't mind, I'd like you to pray for my patience. And Bill looked at me and he said, I'm not praying for your patience. And I said, why not? And he said, because you just need to be obedient and do it. And I thought, well, I'm not asking any more prayer requests from you in the future. <laughs> you know, there's an aspect where what my friend, there's an aspect, I need you to wrestle with this, where what he said is right. I mean, in moderation, you, you can't build your whole theology about that or it just becomes works-based and flesh-based. But if what he meant by that is, is that after I understand what patience is, after I'm trusting that God wants to do this in me, that, that I then need to engage my will and obediently follow him by being patient, is that good theology or not? Yes. And that's the point. Is that with every one of these, what I hope to do with you and me is let's re-engage, especially our weak spots, these fruit of the Spirit. Let's understand them rightly. Let's trust God that he's going to do these things in us. And then as we have opportunity, we're going to act. And you're not going to act perfectly. There's times where even now I go, okay, i got to be patient. i got to be patient. I'm trusting God. He wants to do this. I'm going to be patient. And then, boom, I'm impatient. And again, what do you do with that? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I've memorized that one. And so we, we do that. 
But then I get back on my horse, I get back in the saddle, I confess my sin, and I trust him again, amen, that I can be patient. And I'm telling you, this is going to work with every one of these. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, I really don't think he's the one that said this. I put this on your bulletin. Uh, it's attributed to Emerson, but research tells me that, that they just put his name by it because he's a name. Uh, once said this, or somebody said this, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. You know, it's fascinating. You know who else used this quote, and, and I'm stunned that I'm using it as well. Oprah used this quote recently. And, and, and Oprah's got, just to, to put it mildly, a bit more liberal theology than I do. And, uh, and, and Oprah meant this kind of more in a new age way, you know, that, hey, you know, what lives in you is the power and energy of the universe to do all these things. I, I don't think that's true. I think this, seen through the lens of the Bible and through the lens of Galatians 5, is a very, very profound statement that what lies behind us, what lies before us, are not very big deals compared to the Holy Spirit who lives within us. See, that's what I need you to see, that the Holy Spirit lives in you if you're a believer in Jesus. That is a promise. It's a guarantee. Whether you feel it or not, whether you know it or not, it's true de facto by being a follower of Jesus. And because the Holy Spirit lives within you, what God says is that he has an agenda for your character. And we're gonna look at these nine things that he wants to do in your character. And what I need you to see today with all the hope that is in you and me is that God will and can do these things in you. We need to cooperate. We need to increase our knowledge, our faith, our will. We're gonna do all of that in this series. But have hope. He's never giving up on you. He hasn't yet, and he does and will want to make you into the person that emulates his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you are a God of immense hope and immense vision and, Lord, certainly immense power in our lives. And God, I pray that as we begin this journey together as a church, looking at nine things that you want to do in our very souls and in our very lives, I pray, God, that you would uh, prepare each one of us here and at Cactus Mountain Valley venue and chapel to receive these things. Uh, God, would you make us the kind of men and women that you want us to be so that when we dare let somebody know that we're a follower of Jesus and that the Holy Spirit lives in us, there are things that people see in us they go, yeah, I, I see that, the fruit of the Spirit. And Lord, through this series, would you remind us around each corner that it is your fruit we're talking about. It comes from you. You've made the list and that we cooperate with you. Help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.